Okay, in an age where extramarital affairs are frequent and commonplace, we hear the same thing, don't we, from repentant adulterers. We hear this, oh, you, can, you can picture the, the reality. Let's say the person in question is sitting across from their friend, sitting across from their minister, and they say, I, I can't believe I did it. Uh, I just don't know what I was thinking. I, I lost perspective. I kind of lost sight of my responsibilities. I lost sight of my, my, my wife, my kids. I lost sight of the big picture. Well, that same thing could really be said of us as, as Christians, couldn't it? When we stray from God in our hearts, the problem that we have is kind of a, a similar problem, isn't it? We lose sight of Jesus. You know, we lose sight of the relationship, that covenant relationship that we have with the Lord Jesus. What happens? We lose sight of the, the big spiritual picture, don't we? Well, this evening in God's Word, we come to this section of Scripture that shows us a couple of things. It shows us the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it shows us something of the work that He has accomplished for, for us. So I think, surely, this is a section of Scripture that should spur us, the people of God, onto faithfulness. Faithfulness. Why? Because tonight, in this section of Scripture, what is in view but our spouse the Lord Christ, what is in view? Well, what we have tonight is something of God's big picture. I'll tell you how we'll tackle it. What we're going to do tonight is look at this section of Scripture, and really we're going to focus on the two main themes that are highlighted here. So there's two kind of main aspects to this portion of Scripture. We're going to look at them. The first thing we'll look at is a greater leader. That's the first thing. And then the second thing, later on in the sermon, we'll consider a greater temple. Okay, so those, those are the two things we'll, we'll, we'll tackle. A greater leader and a greater a temple. So if you haven't already done so, please turn with me in your Bibles to Zechariah 6. It's just a short portion of Scripture. So we really will be looking closely at the verses here. First of all, let's think about what we learn here about a greater leader. A greater leader. Okay. Okay. Right. From the very opening of this section, what do we realize? We realize we've got something different here. Don't we? Because... Instead of that usual formula that we've seen time and time again over the last couple of months, do you remember what the formula was? Zechariah looked up and he saw. What have we got? Instead of that, we hear the word of the Lord came to Zechariah. So it reminds us, doesn't it? All those visions that we've looked at, all those eight visions, that's kind of done and dusted. And this is something different. Tonight, it's, it's much more a sort of conventional idea of prophecy that we've got here. So, so the question that we are asking as a congregation is no longer, okay, so what was it Zechariah saw? The question we are asking tonight is, well, wait a minute. What was it that Zechariah heard tonight? Okay, right. The, the, the section starts with the return of more exiles from Babylon. 
We'd said before that there was only a few people in Jerusalem that had returned from Babylon. What we see here is that more come back from captivity. And they come back, right? And they are armed with offerings. They've got uh, precious metals that they are sort of bringing back to give as an offering to God. Now, straight away, God says to Zechariah, okay, Zechariah, go and get those precious metals. Go and get them and fashion from them a crown. And I just want to stop there. So I just pause over the crown. Because uh, it's, to be honest, is a bit strange when you read it. Um, because the word um, in the original is a plural word. The word for a crown is a plural word. Now that could be for a couple of reasons, okay? Um, it could be what's known as the, the plural of majesty, you know, or the plural of excellence. Like, you know how in, in the Old Testament, one of the names for God was Elohim, yeah? A plural name. It was a, you know, our God is so great that on, uh, in instances in scripture, he is, he is spoken of as Elohim. He is the God of uh, a plural name. So excellent that he has to be spoken of in the plural. Well, maybe it's that with the crown. You know, this crown is maybe so fantastic it has to be spoken of in the plural. Maybe that. I think perhaps more likely it's plural because of the way it was made. Do you see that? Look at verse 11. It is made from silver, and it's made from gold. So it's plural, maybe, because of the multiplicity of materials that are being used in this incredible crown. Okay? Tell you what. More important than the fabric of the crown, it is who the crown is given to. And with that, what I'll do is, I want to take you back uh, to 1992. Okay? And to the Oscar night in Hollywood, California, okay? 1992 Oscars. Now, everyone who, who knew anything about film on the Oscars night in 1992, they thought there was one thing that was absolutely sure and certain, and that it was Robert De Niro was getting the Oscar for best actor, okay? It was, it was going to Bobby De Niro. It was an absolute dead cert. You know, he had given this amazing performance in, in Cape Fear. And so everyone was just certain it's going to Robert De Niro. And so you picture it. Maybe you can remember it. Um, it was that actress, what's her name? Uh, Kathy Bates. She, she was the one who was you know, reading it out. You know, they get that golden envelope. She takes it out. She's got it there. Lights on her. She reads through the nominations, and all oh, right enough, there's Robert De Niro there. Okay, he's just about to get it, and she reads it out. And the Academy Award for Best Actor it goes to Anthony Hopkins, and the whole place, you know, everyone's like, "What? Are you kidding me?" You know, and there's just this absolute shock. We well, see that that idea of a totally unexpected recipient. That's what you're dealing with. In Zechariah 6. You see, everyone there in Jerusalem, they're hearing from Zechariah, and at this moment, they expect him to say this, they expect, and a crown goes to Zerubbabel. Don't they? The prince, the king, the one who was in the Davidic line, everyone was expecting that. And what does he say? Zechariah says, do you see it? Look at it, it's verse 11 again. Zechariah says, and the crown goes to Joshua, the high priest. Now, wait a minute. 
Why is Josh, why is it not going to the prince? Why is it going to, why is it going to high priest? This doesn't make sense. Well, what we have to understand at this point is that everyone there, they knew that this was symbolic and not a true coronation. Did everyone hear that? Have you got that? It's so important. They knew putting this crown on Joshua, it wasn't technically making him king. They weren't enthroning him. They all knew that this was a symbolic act. How can I be so sure of that? Do you remember what was said in chapter 3? God said in chapter 3, Joshua and his associates, they are symbolic of things to come. And I ask you this, did you notice when, when I read through, th- read through uh, Zechariah 6, did you notice what happens to the crown? Did you see that? Like, if Joshua was, go- if he was actually being made king, he would keep the crown. What happened to the crown? The crown was taken off him, and it was put in the temple as a memorial. Do you see that this was symbolic, this placing of the crown? It wasn't a true coronation. So, guess the question we've got to ask is, well, okay, what was it symbolizing? Well, friends, hear this. More than at any other point in the Old Testament, that's quite a bold statement, but more than at any other point in the Old Testament, this, Zechariah chapter 6, it showed the people that the Christ, the Messiah who was to come, would be both priest and and king. More than at any other stage in the, in, the, in the Old Testament, here we are learning that the ruler, the, the savior that was to come, that he would be king. Ah, but the order, the order, he would be king. But before that, he would be a priest, that the Messiah would be priest and he would be king. Now, we see what this points to, this crowning. But what would that have actually meant to the people in Jerusalem at the time? Well, think about it like this. Let's say this week at some stage, you're sitting watching the TV. And the letterbox, you hear the letterbox through in the hallway, okay? All right, I'll go and have a look. You go through and there's an envelope there. Open it up. And out of the blue, you've been offered a job. You can't remember applying for this job, but you've been offered a job. And you've been offered the job of ambassador, British ambassador to Barbados. Okay? Not a bad job, is it? Okay? British ambassador to Barbados. Now, if you were offered that job, you would know what that job involved. Um, Yes, I would imagine you'd spend a lot of time on the beach. But when you were at work, you'd see what you would be doing. You'd be representing the British people to the Barbados government, wouldn't you? You'd see that it's an ambassador of the British. You know, you are, it's a representative role. Now get this. We have to understand that the role of the Old Testament kings was a representative role. Like we think about these Old Testament kings and we think of them as big rulers. We think of them as leaders of the people, right? We also have to understand, no, hang on. The Old Testament kings, they represented the people before God. Isn't that right? Like, think about it. If, if an Old Testament king was wicked, the people would suffer. 
if the Old Testament king was, was holy and righteous, guess what? The, the people prospered. Do you see it? The, the role of the Testament king was representative. And when we understand that, do you see what this message of a priest king would mean to the people? It would mean he's, he's a priest. He's not just a king. This priest king, the one that would come, he wouldn't repeat all of the, the wickedness and the materialism of these Old Testament kings because he's a priest first. He's a priest first. He's going to be concerned with holiness. He's going to be concerned with the relationship with God. He's going to be concerned with godliness. He's not going to be concerned with materialism. So he would lead these people and he would lead them into spiritual prosperity. This was wonderful, wonderful news for the people of God. Now, here's my question. What does, what does this mean? What do we take from this for ourselves tonight by way of application? I just want to suggest two things. One, I think we see here a picture of God's ideal leadership. I mean, think about it. We're given a picture of a priest king. God is showing us that he desires his people to be led with spiritual priorities. And as I look around in the congregation just now, isn't it true that many of us are in leadership roles? Like some of us are in leadership roles in our families, leadership roles in the church, leadership roles in Sunday school, Isn't that the case? So my question to you is, what is your priority in your leadership role? Like take kids as an example. Take your kids or take the kids of this congregation. What is our priority for them? I mean, is it material success? Is that what we are absolutely desperate for, for our kids? Do we want them to be successful in this world? Is that the, is that the be all and end all? Or is our desire really, when you think about it, is it spiritual humility for God? Is that what we want more than anything for our kids? And if so, are we showing our children that? by the way that we structure family life and by the way that we structure our Sundays even. Are we showing them that we really want more than anything else for them to be right with God? And then the second thing, surely we see here a picture of our Savior. Don't we? Don't we? I mean, surely you see, imagine being, hearing from Zechariah in Jerusalem, those people hearing about a priest king. I mean, they would be thinking, when's he coming? Who is he? When will he come? They'd be desperate to know who this leader, this new king would be. And what is the amazing thing in this room tonight? You know who he is, don't you? You know who he is. And do you know what? More than that, you know how the Lord Jesus Christ has fulfilled these roles, don't you? You know how he became king. You know that he has ascended to glory, that he is seated on his throne. Do you know what Revelation 19 says? The Lord Jesus Christ tonight wears a plural crown. He wears a crown of many diadems. He is a king. But you also know, prior to that, 
He was a priest. You know, at the cross of Jesus Christ, that he was priest, he was altar, and he was sacrificed, that he laid down his life. Why? So that he could lead his people into spiritual prosperity. What a picture of a priest king, isn't it? I mean, isn't it a glorious picture of a priest king? And yet tonight, it's better than that. We know him. We know him. In Christ, we know him. And his name is Jesus. So we see a greater leader. Secondly, we see a greater temple. A greater temple. Okay, I think we we talked about this before. But I don't know if you've been in the workplace and you have been at work and a new boss has been appointed. keep coming back to this because I always think it's a really scary thing when you get a new boss. And you know what it's like? There's been a sort of vacancy, hasn't there? And uh, the first thing that happens is the identity of the boss is revealed. You know, here it is, here, he or she is, the new boss is here, and you get an idea of who it is. The other thing that happens, though, is that you get... After maybe, I don't know, a week or two, you get an insight into how that boss is going to run things, how the boss is going to work, like what their principles are going to be for you, and you know, how, you know, how they're going to structure things, what their priorities are going to be. That's exactly what's going on here. Like Zechariah chapter 6 is two things. Like the identity of the new leader is unveiled to us, but also... We are shown, it's revealed to us, the work that this new leader is going to do. So what is that work? What's this new leader going to do? Well, what's repeated in these verses is the idea that this coming Messiah is going to build a temple. That's what the focus is here. He's going to build, this priest king is going to come and he's going to build a temple. Now, there's a couple of things we've got to get our heads around with that. First of all, you've got to see that it was the ultimate honor for a king to be chosen to build a temple. Do you see that in the Old Testament? I mean, it was the great privilege for a king to be the one chosen. I mean, just think about David. Like, David was desperate to be the one to, to build the, the temple. He's saying to God, look, can I please build your house? And, and God says, no, that honor, that privilege, that is going to pass to someone else. That's going to go to your son, to king. So, so you see it? Building a temple, a huge privilege for a king. The other thing we've got to work out, what temple is being talked about here in Zechariah 6? I mean, which temple? Because as sure as anything, it's not the temple in Jerusalem. Because think about who Zechariah is speaking to. He's speaking about, he's speaking to all these people who have returned from exile. And what have they been doing for the last couple of years? What have they been doing? They've been people. <laughs> That's what they've been doing. Under Zerubbabel, they've been building. And at this point here, the temple in Jerusalem is nearly finished. It's very, very nearly completed. So all these people listening to Zechariah, they're thinking, well, okay, he's going to build a temple, this priest king, but it must be a temple in the future. What is this temple? Well, in the New Testament, friends, the temple, it is us. It is the church of Jesus Christ. We, you and I, 
We are this temple that is being referred to here. Christian preached a couple of weeks ago. I can see him through the, the window there. No, he's, he's gone. Uh, maybe about a month ago, Christian preached through First Peter. And what did he read as part of that? He read, he read this. That the people of God, you and I in the Lord Jesus Christ, are what? Listen to this. We are living stones being built up and being built up into a spiritual house. We are the temple. So you put all of that together. What have you got? You've got this great leader, this Messiah, this priest king. And you've got he and he alone having the honor of building the final dwelling place of God. Do you see this? This this one that's been talked of in Zechariah 6. This, this new, greater Joshua. He is the one who in us, in you and I, is constructing the temple of God. The final, ultimate temple of God. Don't you see it? I mean, isn't it absolutely marvelous? You have in these short verses in Zechariah, you've got the king, but you also have the kingly work. Okay, now recently, um, scientists have solved a, a sort of mystery that's baffled people for generations. I was reading an article about it this week, and, and through a sort of process of elimination, uh, they worked out how the ancient Egyptians built the pyramids of Giza. And uh, I, I think they knew how that, that happened, but what they managed to work out was how they transported those massive stones that were needed to build the, the pyramid. So you see what they did? They unearthed a sort of uh, building technique, if you like, that had remained a mystery. That's what we've got here. That's what we've got in Zechariah chapter 6. What I want you to appreciate is that in these verses, what happens is not just that we see that the king is going to build his temple. What we see here are the building techniques used in this great spiritual construction project. We see Jesus' techniques for building his temple here. What, what do I mean? Well, look at this. First of all, we see, we see Jesus' building method. Like, how is Jesus going to do this? This great priest king, he's going to build his temple. What's he going to do? Is he going to start at each four corners of the temple? Is he going to lay stones there and build it like that? No. Look at verse 12 told that the branch will branch out. That this building work is going to be done by kind of expansion. It's going to be done by sort of spreading out. He's going to branch out in his building work. And and, and we're a congregation that's done what? We've just gone through the book of Acts. Do you see the fulfillment? The gospel goes into Jerusalem and what happens? It branches out. (laughs) It branches out to where? All Judea and Samaria branches out to the ends of the earth. Don't, don't, Don't you see it? So we see his method. We also see Jesus building laborers too. I mean, think about it. Tonight we're talking about a king building a house. Now, a king building a house is not going to do it by himself, is he? He is going to get other people involved in this work. Now, who does he get involved? Look at verse 15. Those who are far away will come. 
and they will help to build this temple. That is a prophecy of the involvement of the Gentiles. And I will say, and I'll extend that, that is a prophecy of your involvement in Jesus' temple building. And I want you to think about yourself in this light. Think about yourself this evening as Christ's construction worker. That's what we are in the church. That should be a spur to evangelism. That should be a spur to witnessing. We are working with Christ to construct this temple. And then we'll end. As we do so, I just want us to note Jesus building resources. How does a king finance a building project? Where does he get his energy from? Take a step back. What's Zechariah 6, this portion of scripture? What did I say it was? Symbolic, yes, but it is a coronation ceremony. Isn't that what I said with this crown? A coronation ceremony? Now, I say those words to you, what do you think of? When I say a coronation, what do you think of? Like a lot of us are probably going to think about Queen Elizabeth. You know, the grainy pictures of her with her big train and, you know, massive crown and there's trumpets going and all that. That's pretty elaborate, isn't it? You know? And think about the people hearing this in Jerusalem. They're thinking, well, what's this coronation going to... Like, if this symbolic coronation involves us making a crown of silver and gold, what's the real thing going to be like? Can you imagine? You know, we're all saying this must be... The coronation of this king must be elaborate. It must be grand. And what happened? Yes, we're saying, yes, Jesus is made king in glory, but when was Jesus truly made king? Where did it take place? In front of Roman soldiers. You know, and he's flogged and he's bleeding. And it's then and there that a royal robe is placed around his shoulders. And it's there and then that it's a crown. But it isn't a crown of twisted silver and gold, it's a crown of twisted thorns. And there, there at the cross, does Christ provide the resources for this temple building project. He cleans us. He changes us. He molds us. He shapes us so we are perfect building blocks for this new temple. Don't you see it? Friends, Zechariah chapter 6, this is God's big picture. Through his son, He is building himself a dwelling place in us. And you know, one day we are going to see our great leader. We're going to see him just as he is. We are. And we're going to see him as a priestly sacrifice. We will see him as a lamb. But we will see him as he is. We will see him as a king. We will see him as a lamb upon his throne. So I see you as a congregation Be faithful. Be faithful to your leader, to your spouse, to your king. Worship him this week in every area of your life. Worship him because he is building his church. And all honor is deservedly his.